Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. My name's Matthew. Welcome to you again if you're uh, here for the first time. Well, at uh, Gateway over this season between September and through to Christmas, we are doing a series where we're looking at the book of Acts in the New Testament of the Bible. And today we're up to Acts chapter 9. And uh, if you want to follow along, that's on page 1102 in the Bibles that were handed out earlier. Today is, we're looking at a story which is set in the city of Damascus. And there are three things which uh, Damascus is probably best known for. Unfortunately, this is a, should be a picture of Damascus, as to have Damascus at the moment. There's three things that Damascus is known for, really. Unfortunately, the one at the moment is war. There's been this terrible conflict in Syria for how many, however many years now, and however many uh, thousands have lost their lives, been displaced. We know the story. So Damascus now for us probably represents, we hear the word Damascus and we think of a place which is in big trouble where there's huge suffering, great conflict, uh, geopolitical issues, Russia, America, Israel, Syria, all the stuff, and uh, probably creates those kind of images in our minds. We've all seen the footage on TV of screaming kids and shattered bodies and destroyed buildings. When we think of Damascus, we probably think of that. But Damascus is also famous for being a city which is one of the longest inhabited cities in the world. It's a city of incredible historical significance. It's a city which has been inhabited for thousands of years and in which many significant things have happened over the years and about which there is an incredible history. And then the third thing you might think about when you think about Damascus is having a Damascus Road conversion. And that is a phrase which is kind of in common usage by all kinds of people. Somebody has a sudden change of mind, a change of heart about something, and it's described, that it was a Damascus Road moment. And it's that third thing about Damascus that we're going to be looking at today, a Damascus Road moment when something was changed. Actually, a lot was changed because of what happened on a road leading into Damascus, then on a road in Damascus. And the, uh, the background for what we're looking at is that we, in the book of Acts, have been looking at the story of how a church, the first church in the world, was formed in the city of Jerusalem, how that church quickly grew. Uh, it grew numerically, it grew in its experience of the power and the presence of God. And then as the church grew, trouble, persecution, opposition began to face that first community of Christians. And that uh, culminated in the death of a young man called Stephen who was stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And as a consequence of Stephen being killed, lots of the Christians from Jerusalem scatter out because Jerusalem has now become a dangerous place in which to live. And the next story that we read after Stephen and before the one that we're looking at today is the story of Philip, who's another young man who leaves Jerusalem uh, in the wake of this persecution, and he goes out and he goes into places where there have been no Christians ever, and he speaks about Jesus, and lots of people come to faith in Christ, and the message of the gospel starts spilling out beyond the walls of Jerusalem into a much bigger world. And today we're going to be looking at another man called Paul. Actually, at this point in the story, he's referred to as Saul later on in Acts Chapter 13, he starts to be referred to as Paul. We normally talk about him as Paul, but at this point, he's Saul. So Saul and Paul, interchangeable, uh, the same man. And this is a story about one man who experiences 
a dramatic transformation. But it's not just a transformation for him personally. It's actually a pretty significant kink in the whole road of world history. Because whether or not you accept the Bible as uh, really revealing who God is, whether you believe the story to be true, the Apostle Paul is one of the most significant figures, not only in the history of the church, but actually in the whole of, of, of world history because of the influence of what happened in his life, uh, what he then did in terms of helping the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire, and uh, the way that subsequently his teaching has been so influential in the shaping of not only the church, but in the shaping of whole cultures. And so what happened to this one man, Paul, or Saul as he was then, on a road just outside Damascus, has shaped history for the subsequent 2,000 years years. We wouldn't have the world that we now have, the world that we know, without Paul. And if nothing else, what I hope to uh, show us as we go through this passage this morning is that change is possible. That's really the, the title for our talk this morning as we look at the life of Saul who became Paul. Change is possible. And uh, when we celebrate baptizing Martin a little bit, we're talking about change and I was just chatting to somebody this morning before the service saying they've struggled to change with things. The message of today is that change is possible, and that's good news. Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. Grace is going to come and read the scripture for us. Let me adjust the microphone heights to okay. Mrs. Hosier height. There you go. Did you turn it off, Painter? Sorry, I didn't warn you. There you go. ...was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey... Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, 
go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Thank you, Grace. The context of the story is that the Apostle Paul, not the Apostle Paul this time, the, the Saul, the zealot, he was a religious zealot. He was like a Jewish equivalent of how we might think of the Taliban today, that kind of character, that kind of zeal. And he had been there at the stoning of Stephen. He had overseen Stephen's murder and death. And he goes off to continue his job of persecuting Christians, persecuting the church. And it might seem a bit odd that he's got authority to go to Damascus, because Damascus isn't part of Israel, so how did he have authority to go to Damascus to arrest people in the synagogues there? But the Romans had given the high priest in Jerusalem authority, extraditional authority over Jews who were in surrounding nations. And so Saul gets permission from the high priest to go and arrest, extradite uh, Jews who had converted to Christianity and to bring them back to Jerusalem to punish them, to imprison them, potentially to kill them. And while he's on the road to Damascus, he has this Damascus Road conversion, this moment of dramatic and total and complete turnaround. He's suddenly encountered by the living God. He falls to the floor. He's blinded. Uh, he doesn't know what's going on. And the story goes on to tell how Paul turns from being a hater of Jesus and a destroyer of the church to someone who becomes the great apostle, probably the greatest uh, evangelist the Christian church ever known. And the rest of the book of Acts is largely taken up with the account of how Paul travels around the Mediterranean region talking about Jesus and starting church after church and town after town. It's an extraordinary transformation that he experiences. The story of Saul tells us that people can change. And that is good news. It's good news because sometimes there are things in our own lives which we look at, behaviors, attitudes, habits, and we think, I just can't change. I can't break this. It's stuck, and I always fall back into it. And some of those things can be very profound and very real. But the story tells us that change is possible. You can change. Things can change. And sometimes that's really hard, but by the power and the grace of God, change is possible. It's also good news when we think about other people, because we might have other people in our lives. We might look at them and think, Man, they're never going to change. They always do this. They always make this mess. They always repeat this mistake. Scripture, there's a proverb which talks about how the fool is like a dog that goes back to its vomit. And some of us might know people like that in our lives who just seem to keep making a mess of things. It's like they're always going back to the same problem. And as I read this story, I'm kind of encouraged to think again about how, no, things can change. If Saul could change... If Saul could change as dramatically as he did, then change is possible. It's possible for me, it's possible for people that I know who need to change. And that's a story of hope. But we might just need to adjust our kind of mental framework about this story because we do talk about a Damascus Road conversion. 
but probably actually it's less of a Damascus road conversion than a straight street conversion. This, uh, this story of Paul's encounter with Jesus is told three times in the book of Acts. It's told here, and it's told again in Acts 22, and again in Acts 26. And if you put those three accounts together, you get a bit of a fuller picture of what happens to Saul on this occasion. Paul had this overwhelming encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and then he spends three days basically in complete shock and awe. He's not sure what has happened to him. He's literally blinded. He can't see. Something's happened, so he's kind of uh, lost his sight. And sometimes profound shock can cause those kind of physical responses. He's confused. He's had some direction. He's felt God tell him to kind of wait and see what's going to happen, but he's not sure what's happening. And he's, he's not eating anything. And that might be because partly he's just kind of too overwhelmed by this experience. It might be because he's a devout Jew, and so he's deliberately choosing to fast because if you're a devout Jew and you're wanting to work out what God's doing, one of the things you try and do is fast in order to uh, get close to God and understand that. So he's praying and he's fasting. Uh, but it's when this man Ananias goes to Saul that really everything changes. When Ananias suddenly walks through the door and comes and stands by Saul and speaks to him and puts his hands on him and prays for him, that's when Saul is changed. It's at that moment that Saul receives his sight. He's able physically to see again where he's been blinded. It's at that moment when Saul receives the Holy Spirit. Saul is filled with God's real presence, with God somehow comes and dwells in Saul in a way which he's never known or probably imagined before. He knows, knows the power of God, the reality of God in a way that he's never previously experienced. He receives baptism. And uh, in one of the other Acts accounts, it says that Ananias says to him, get baptized to wash away your sins. Saul would have thought of himself as a good person, as a righteous person, a zealot, a Jewish zealot. And then Ananias says, you need to wash your sins away. Things need to change for you. And he gets baptized. And then he receives food. He stops fasting. He starts to eat. He regains his strength. And suddenly his confusion and his searching are over. And so really it seems that the moment where Saul actually really came to clarity of faith in Jesus was not on the Damascus Road, it was in a, in a house on Straight Street. The Damascus Road experience was a powerful encounter with God, but it was with Ananias in his house on Straight Street that really that's the conversion moment for Saul. And this is interesting because I think again it speaks to so many of our experiences that we can have encounters with God but really remain confused about what that means until something happens to make the pieces fall into place. And that might be somebody explaining to us what's going on, or it might be that just over time the pieces start to line up and begin to make sense. And lots of people have conversion stories like this. Paul's conversion story is kind of a three-day one. Bang, Damascus Road, three days of confusion. Ananias comes, suddenly clarity and sights are given. For some people, it's not three days. For some people, it's three years. For some people, it's three decades. It takes different times for different people. But something happens to you, and you know that there's something more to happen. Now, perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you've encountered God in some way. Perhaps you know that there's something there is true and real, but you're not quite sure what or how or why yet. Maybe the pieces don't yet quite align. 
when Martin tells his story a little bit, I think his story's a little bit like that, that it took a while for the pieces to align. And it might be that today is a Damascus Road moment for you. This, this might be a day when you just have a kind of an encounter with God. It might be that today is a straight street moment for you, when the pieces at last, whether it's been three days or three years or three decades, the pieces drop into line in a way in which they haven't, and you're able to see in a way you haven't previously seen. It might be your day to change. It's worth us thinking about this character of Ananias who comes and speaks to Paul as well. Paul is one of the most significant figures in the history of the church and even in world history. And this man, Ananias, he only figures in the story here, a couple of verses here in Acts. But without Ananias, we would have never had Paul. Paul would never have seen who he was meant to be and who he was meant to worship unless it had been for Ananias explaining it to him. And there are some things about Ananias that's helpful for us to see. And particularly for those of us who are followers of Christ already here this morning, I think there are some things that we can learn from Ananias and we might want to change in a way so that we reflect him more. One thing about Ananias is that he responds to a vision. That's what it says. And it's easy for us to kind of skip over that, but we should note it. He receives a vision from God. And Again and again in the book of Acts, we see that happening, that God speaks to people in a very direct and very personal way and gives them instructions about things which they are to do. And we shouldn't just skip over that. I believe that God still does that today, that God still speaks to us at times personally. God still gives visions where he reveals things to us. But I have to be honest and say that my experience having been a church pastor for the past 20 years, is that very often people say things like, well, God told me, when what that means is a doing something which will result in a bit of an uptick in personal comfort or status or problem avoiding. It's often at that moment when people say, oh, God's told me to do this. It's going to make life easier for me, essentially. God's told me to do this. When what we see here with Ananias is it's rather different. Ananias's God told me, was to go into the lion's den. There was no prospect of life improving for Ananias by going to see Saul, because Ananias is terrified about seeing Saul because he knows Saul's reputation. Probably Ananias is in Damascus, having himself fled from Jerusalem after Stephen was killed, as Paul stirred up the mob to kill Stephen. So Ananias has heard what Paul is like. He's heard about this man. He's heard about his, his persecuting zeal. He's heard about how he's put Christians in prison. He's heard about how he's even led to Christians being killed. And so Ananias does not want to go and see Saul. God told me to go and see Saul. Oh, no, God couldn't do that. God wouldn't do that. No, no. God can tell me to go and lie on the beach uh, down at Tel Aviv and have a pina colada. No, God's told you to go and see Ananias. He responds to a vision. Second thing we can see about Ananias then is that he is obedient, which can't have been easy. And for those of us who say that we're Christians, follow Jesus, this is a question for us to consider. Are we obedient in the tough calls? When being a disciple of Christ means choosing something that might cost us something. Are we obedient? When actually what God is saying to us is, 
Don't do that thing which you think will make your life easier. Actually, do this thing which looks like it might be hard. Do this thing which looks like it might be costly. Do this thing which looks like it might be dangerous. At those moments, are we obedient as Ananias was? Third thing we see about Ananias is that he, when he does go, when he responds to the vision in obedience, he goes full of faith. When he gets to meet with Saul, he doesn't mess around. I think if I was there and I'd kind of plucked up my courage and swallowed my fears and said, okay, Lord, I'll go, I think I'd have probably sat with Saul and asked what had happened. Oh, amazing, encounter on the road, had a cup of coffee. I'm so glad, Saul, we've got things patched up. Perhaps you're not going to kill so many of us now. And I'd have run out the door. That's not what Ananias does. Ananias is full of faith. He's incredibly direct. He basically says to Saul, Saul, get up, get filled with the Spirit, get baptized and get going. It's a kind of a very directional, intentional, faith-filled instruction that Ananias gives to Saul. And that's a challenge for me, I think. It should be a challenge for those of us who follow Jesus. Do we act with a similar kind of bold faith that Ananias did? And the fourth thing we can see about Ananias is that in a really wonderful way, what happens in and through Ananias represents how in the book of Acts, this series we're calling Spirit-Empowered Mission. And we see that in Ananias. We see how because of the Spirit of God at work in him, the mission of God expands through him, that God's gifts and God's grace are ever spilling out to more and more people. The beginning of the story in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, it's the, the 12 apostles who get to do the stuff. It's the 12 apostles who are full of power. It's the 12 apostles who pray for the sick and the sick get well. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 8, we come across Stephen and Philip. And these are not part of the 12 apostles. These are part of another group which is appointed later to help look after widows in the church. But it says that they do signs and wonders. They get to do the stuff. They, they get to do mighty things in God. And then we get to Acts chapter 9 and suddenly Ananias appears on the scene and he's speaking with faith to the monstrous Saul and he's praying for Paul to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It happens and we might read about Ananias and think, who? He hasn't been in the story before. His name hasn't cropped up before. He's not one of the 12 apostles. He wasn't, we don't know anything about him before. Who is this Ananias? Who is this man this through whom Paul receives the gift of the Holy Spirit and gets baptized and gets commissioned to a life which is going to change not only his life, but change the whole world. Who's Ananias? Who Ananias is, is somebody who's been encountered by Jesus himself and is obedient to Jesus himself. And we see the the good news of Jesus beginning to race, first from Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. And the gifts and the grace that God pours out expand and expand and expand, expand even to us today. And so... For those of us who follow Jesus, I think a challenge for us from this story today is, do we need to change to be more like Ananias in his obedience and his faith and his stepping out in the grace and the gifts of God? Grace, can you come and read the rest of the story? Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, 
Isn't he um, the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now we can be cynical about change. When somebody says, oh, I've changed, we can easily be cynical because of past experience. We want to see people prove it. And what we see in the story of Paul is that he did prove it, that his conversion was real. This wasn't any fake change. And uh, we can see this in a number of things in his life. One is that he changes his relationships. That whereas before he'd been trying to kill disciples of Jesus, now he's wanting to hang out with them. I mean, it's a complete, it's a radical change. Uh, I want to kill you. I want to be with you. So you don't get more dramatic than that. And you can kind of imagine what it must have been like for those followers of Jesus in Damascus. Uh, Saul's saying, hey, guys, let's hang out. Oh, okay, where's the stones? I mean, it's like scary stuff. So there's this complete transformation, which must have been a bit bewildering for the Christians in Damascus and extraordinary for Saul himself. He'd come to arrest these Christians, and now he wants to hang out with them and talk about Jesus together. It's just extraordinary. So his relationships change. second way in which he changes is his actions. That Saul has gone to Damascus in order to go to the Jewish synagogues to root out those who are now following Jesus as the Messiah. And now rather than doing that, he's going to the synagogue still, but he's talking about Jesus, preaching about Jesus. A complete change in his actions, and he becomes as effective in preaching about Jesus as previously he's been in persecuting Christians. There's this extraordinary change in his actions as well as in, as in his relationships. And then what is perhaps the most significant change in many ways, because it's such a, a personal one, is that there's this change in his status that before Saul had been commissioned by the high priests to go on this mission to round up and arrest the followers of Jesus. He was somebody who had reputation and status and authority within his culture. And he loses all of that by what has happened to him and the decision he's made and the faith that he comes to. 
And now, rather than being in this position of high authority and high status and high prestige, now he himself is at risk of death. He himself comes under the threat which previously he had issued to others. Now, perhaps today could be your day to be more of a pull. Perhaps there's a change coming for you which will mean a change in your relationships and a change in your actions and a change in your status. And those are things which actually you want to embrace because you see that they're good change. There's another character in the story which is worth thinking about just as we finish. And this is the character of Barnabas, who when Saul returns to Jerusalem, appears on the scene. Now, we, unlike Ananias, we've heard about Barnabas before. Barnabas appears in Acts chapter 4, where he is uh, recorded as somebody who was unusually generous, that he sold a bunch of property he had, and he brought the money to the apostles so that they could use it to help people in the church who were poor and in need. And so encouraging, so uh, positive is Barnabas, he gets the name, the nickname Son of Encouragement or Mr. Encouragement. That's how he gets to be known. He's no longer by, known by his old name of Joseph. He's known as Mr. Encouragement from now on because he's a, he's a guy who believes. He seems to be Mr. Encouragement, Mr. Positivity. He, he actually becomes, later on in the story, uh, Paul's great partner in mission. Once Paul goes out, starting to spread around uh, the gospel message around the Mediterranean. It's often Barnabas who's with him. They partner together in the mission. And uh, Barnabas just seems to be the kind of guy, he's a believer. He's an all-in believer. And that affects everything he does. It, it, it means that he gives his money away when there's need. It means that when he sees Saul and recognizes the genuine change in his life, he's the one who gets involved. He's the one who says, I believe in this man and takes him to meet with the apostles in Jerusalem. He's, he's a man of incredible positivity, incredible encouragement, incredible belief. Acts 4, he's described as a son of encouragement, Mr. Encouragement. Acts 11, he's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And I think, wow, these are great examples to copy, to be more like a Barnabas, to have that kind of reputation, to live that kind of way. And, of course, at this point, Saul really needs a Barnabas. I mean, his whole life has been upended. He's gone to Damascus. Everything has changed so radically for him. He's had to leave Damascus because his life has been under threat. He's had to escape over the wall at night and, as a fugitive, kind of run away. He goes back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, the Christians don't want to know him because they do know him. And they know that he's a monstrous murderer. They're all scared to death of him. And it's Barnabas who believes it's Barnabas who becomes his advocate. It's Barnabas who takes him by the shoulder and says, I believe in you. I believe in the change that you've experienced. It's Barnabas who brings him to the apostles. It's, it's Barnabas who stands by him. And again, there's a challenge for us perhaps here today. Perhaps the change that we need is to be more like Barnabas. Perhaps we need to be those who express our belief more tangibly, more practically, more forcibly, that we, we believe, we think the best, we encourage, we help. That's what Barnabas did. You know, we all need a Barnabas. All of us have times in our lives when the person you need next year is someone like Barnabas, someone who's going to believe in you, someone who's going to encourage you, someone who's going to want the best for you, believe the best from you. We all know when we need that, but we also need to be that for others. Be a church full of Barnabases. The message of this story is that 
change is possible. Saul changed because of what Jesus had done. Ananias was changed because of what Jesus had done. Barnabas was changed because of what Jesus had done. Ananias helped Saul to change because of what Jesus had done. Barnabas demonstrated that Saul had changed because of what Jesus had done. Change is possible. What's the change that you need today? Is it a Paul kind of change? Is it an Ananias kind of change? Is it a Barnabas kind of change? And it's not just for us individually, although that obviously is the application. There's also the way the story ends, which is a focus on the whole church together. It says that the church throughout that whole region enjoyed a time of peace. After the persecutions that Saul had stirred up, the church was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. That little phrase, they lived in the fear of the Lord, can be a confusing one for us. What does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? It's a, it's a phrase which actually is made up of those four words, but becomes kind of one word in itself. It's a bit like the word butterfly, which if you take butter and fly apart, it doesn't make much sense when you think about a beautiful insect flapping around, because butter doesn't fly. It just doesn't put the words apart, and it makes no sense. You put them together, and we all know what a butterfly is, because we all know what a butterfly is. And fear of the Lord is a bit like that, that when you know what fear of the Lord is, it's, you know it's fear of the Lord. It's not fear of the Lord. It's fear of the Lord. It's a whole way of living and a way of being. It's a way of recognizing the awesome goodness of God and a desire to live in fellowship and a relationship with him and know his presence and his peace and his power and to obey him and serve him and enjoy him and know his joy and to be in community together. It means all those kind of things. It means shalom. It means peace. It means goodness. It means good stuff. And so the church lived together in fear of the Lord. And they were strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. That's an encouraging little phrase for us as well here this morning, Gateway Church. Barnabas was known as Mr. Encouragement. He was an amazing encourager. But the whole church was encouraged by the Holy Spirit. The church was encouraged by God himself as God himself through the Spirit worked in the church. And that's the kind of encouragement we need as well. And so we seek the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us that we might be encouraged. We might live in the fear of the Lord as well. Change is possible. Change is real. Jesus is alive. It's good to live in his presence know the power and the goodness of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us. Amen? Amen. Let's respond in prayer, lead us, and then uh, John and the band are going to lead us in a song, and then we'll get Martin up to talk about the change he's experienced. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, I thank you for this amazing story about the change that a man called Saul, experienced on the Damascus Road and then in a house on Straight Street. And all that meant for him and all, all it meant for all that happens afterwards. And Lord, I pray for us here this morning. I pray where we need to change. That we, like Ananias, might respond. We might be obedient to you. I pray, Lord, if there's that change which is needed, that, that Saul-like change from not knowing you or even being opposed to you to recognizing you, seeing you, encountering you. I pray, Lord, that you'd cause people to uh, step over that line of faith this morning. If it's 
a change where some here who know they know something about you, but the pieces haven't yet fallen into place. I pray that today that change might happen. If it's change we need to be like Ananias, faithful even when it's hard, Lord, help us in that. If it's change to be more like Barnabas, to learn to be uh, those who really do believe and put our belief into action, Lord, help us in that. And I, I do ask for us as a church together, Lord, that we would be encouraged by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there would be a, a shalom, a peace, a joy amongst us as a people of God, that we'd be strengthened and that we'd grow in number, just as that church was back then. That's what we ask for, Lord. We ask for it in your name that you are good. You're the one who does bring change. And Lord, we embrace that because we know the change you bring is good and life-giving and healthy for us. We thank you for these things, King Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. We're going to respond, sing of how we're to be founding our life on the one true God. While we're singing, uh, our children are come, be coming back in, so if you brought a child with you, they'll be appearing at the door over here to your left, so keep an eye out, they'll um, be handed back to you. Let's come and look to the one who is worthy of all of our praise.